are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, it's a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with my co-host, David Ramil, and the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. The trade deadline is a little bit more than 48 hours away, and things are getting crazy. We've already seen Kristaps Porzingis get traded. Rodney Hood was moved over the weekend, but the biggest name on the market is still on the market. And that's Anthony Davis. And the plot thickens in New Orleans with Woj reporting Monday that the Pelicans have been made aware of, quote, a handful of other teams that Davis would be willing to sign with long term with long term after a trade was finalized. And that list includes the Lakers, Knicks, Bucks and Clippers. While this is probably an effort by Clutch Sports and Rich Paul to accelerate a trade prior to Thursday's deadline, at least that's how I'm reading it. Do we really think, Ben, that any of these non-Lakers teams can land Anthony Davis? Well, I mean, first of all, nothing but blockbusters, Porzingis, Anthony Davis, and Rodney Hood. Um, Second, though, (laughs) uh, if we rewind a week, New Orleans' whole posture was, you know, we're going to do this on our timeline. They were trying to send the signals that they didn't want to rush into it, you know, given that Anthony's trade request was pretty late-breaking. Um, and that you know it's such a big, weighty decision for that franchise. But if you look at their behavior here over the last week, they seem to be taking the idea of trading him to the Lakers or trading him somewhere else very seriously here in the short term. I mean, there's been multiple exchanges going back and forth with the Lakers, according to reports. Uh, the, the list of teams that's emerged in terms of, yes, Milwaukee, yes, Clippers, yes, Knicks, but no Celtics. Uh, provides uh, you know the Pelicans a greater definition in terms of you know what is their uh, you know trade market going to look like, and so I think that we need to be bracing for the possibility of of some fireworks before Thursday. Now uh, you know those those could be famous last words, but New Orleans is not doing what they kind of hinted that they might be, which is taking their ball and going home and just hiding until July one and and you know putting off this pro- uh, problem to another day. They seem to be very actively involved, and I think that's a good sign for for people who want to see Anthony Davis have a meaningful run down the stretch of the season. It's a good sign for the thirsty Lakers fans who obviously need a big talent injection, uh, but I also think it's a good sign for Pelicans fans uh, if they were to you know, just remain in this stasis to be kind of overcome by the awkwardness that's come out here over the last week, whether it's Alvin Gentry kind of, you know, getting, you know, very touchy with reporters and and kind of feeling defensive, whether it's Anthony Davis's strange press conference where, uh, you know, he's, he's trying to say he still wants to be loved by the New Orleans fans. That's just an awkward environment. And I do think Pelicans fans should be heartened that their front office seems to be aggressively pursuing uh, the, the possibility of just turning the page. And and David, look, I mean, if like the Pelicans have a reason to hold on to Anthony Davis until the summer if they really want to try to get the best offer from Boston, but they also, as Ben is mentioning here, they do seem to be willing and maybe even trying to push towards something happening before that Thursday tread deadline. I kind of think, and I don't know if you agree with me here, I kind of think it is in the Pelicans' best interest to do that because... Look, even if the tread line comes and goes and Anthony Davis is still on the Pelicans, the story isn't going away. And if you're New Orleans and it's just sort of like, all right, Anthony Davis isn't resigning here. What? I don't know that anything that Boston's going to put together is so overwhelmingly better, and we don't even know that they want to put that offer together by the time the summer rolls around, depending on what happens with Kyrie Irving, and that's a whole other situation. But that might not be out there right now. And so I... I'm kind of at the point, too, where I think it's better for the Pelicans to move on. Do you think that as well? 
You know, it kind of ties into your original question as far as whether or not these other potential suitors are, are realistic options to acquire Anthony Davis. Uh, and the reality is that they're not. I, I don't think I think the Knicks pretty much uh, you know traded away whatever assets they might have had uh, in the acquisition of, or rather to trade Chris Epps Porzingis to Dallas. I mean, they could package something together in order to acquire him, but it wouldn't be nearly enticing enough for the New Orleans side of things. Uh, Milwaukee certainly can't do it. They certainly don't have the the space or the assets to acquire a guy like Davis. So you're looking at a, a two man race between the Lakers and the Clippers, and I'm not sure that the Clippers have the the right horses in order to try and make a, a move for Davis either. So as far as New Orleans is concerned, I mean you're waiting on Boston over the summer, perhaps who, who realistically puts the best offer together, or you're going to make a move suddenly in order to to ship him over to the Lakers and just get this deal done. I, I'm not quite sure to be honest with you how it plays out. My gut kind of tells me that it's going to the Lakers. What do you think about the Clippers' potential deal? Because we're not really sure what they're offering. We've heard reports now the Lakers are willing to put all three of the young guys a first-round pick and some matching salary together, um, and then take Solomon Hill from the Pelicans to offer them some salary relief. I would imagine the Clippers would have to do something similar as far as offering a little bit of salary. But, like, Tobias Harris is a nice player, but he's expiring after this season. He's probably not resigning in New Orleans. Danella Gallinari is under contract for another year. Is he interesting enough for the Pelicans to take that? Like, do you is that offer even as good as what the Lakers could put together? I mean, do they put SGA on the table? What do they do? I mean, they'd have to, I think, yeah. in order to acquire a player of, of uh, Davis's caliber. But I mean, it, what we've heard from New Orleans, right? Their side of things is that they're looking for picks, uh, potential building blocks of the future, uh, and, and you know, salary cap space as well. So uh, that's a lot to ask for, and they're probably not going to get all of it. But I think the best combination of that probably comes from the Lakers deal. Yeah, I mean, the Clippers can put together a pretty good package, though. I mean, you center it around SGA. You know, Lou Williams is an attractive trade piece given his skill level, his scoring ability, how much fun he is for fans to watch, and also his really, you know, bargain basement contract extension that he signed last year. Um, You know, you could do the expiring contracts that you've mentioned. Uh, You know, Gallinari, fringe all-star, that's a piece I'd be interested in if I was New Orleans. Um, And they also have other, you know, intriguing pieces. Montrez Harrell has had a really nice season. You know, I wrote about him recently at the Washington Post. I mean, he's been a big-time player for the Clippers, uh, and he's on, you know, a really quality contract there too. So you could get picks, a high-quality prospect in SGA, multiple quality starters, and that's a pretty nice package. And if I'm the Clippers... I seriously consider doing that because it worked out pretty well for them when they, uh, you know, snuck in on the Chris Paul situation. Um, all the benefits of being in LA would still be there for Anthony Davis. Obviously, not the same brand name as the Lakers, but uh, the opportunity to to put together a contender would be there in the short term, and the opportunity to live in a nice market and, and be a high profile player uh, would be there for him in the short term. Uh, the Clippers so far have indicated. Uh, you know, sources indicate that they haven't really pursued that uh, very aggressively. And it's confusing to me why they may be bluffing. You know, it makes a lot of sense. If you're ranking the rental destinations, uh, you know, for Anthony Davis, to me, the Clippers and the Raptors uh, should be right at the top of the list. And, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm the LA Clippers, I feel pretty confident about being able to convince Anthony Davis to stick around, you know, after this term. And I'd be very happy to know that my team made his list of, uh, you know, organizations he'd want to resign with. And the other part of this, if you're New Orleans, as far as motivation goes, you trade him to the Clippers, that's directly in spite of the Lakers. We've heard 100%. that Bell Demps doesn't want to trade with the Lakers. 
Well, what what a better way to do that than or to spite the Lakers than to just trade him across the hallway and be like, look, he's right here, but you can't have him. No, if you're going to put out the press release about tampering and all this, and you know they're trying to make a real statement about not being forced to do something you don't want to do, uh, the best way to answer that is to to do the side trade to the Clippers and and kind of you know laugh at uh, LeBron and Clutch Sports and all of them in the process. <laughs> The other part of everything that's kind of been happening is the Kyrie Irving situation. I mentioned it a little bit earlier about how if you're Boston, you're kind of nervous right now because with everything Kyrie Irving said on Friday in New York um, to reporters about kind of coming back, coming off of his stance of, um, you know, wanting to resign with Boston and kind of opening that door a little bit more. If you're the Celtics, you kind of need Kyrie Irving to play recruiter for Anthony Davis. We've heard in these reports that Anthony Davis might not be willing to sign long-term with Boston. If you're the Celtics, I I would understand why you're kind of looking at this trade deadline and just looking like crap. Like, we can't trade for Anthony Davis right now because of the Rose Rule contract situation. We're super nervous right now. Yeah, and they should be. I mean, I I don't think... Look, I think we were kind of overstating Kyrie's commitment to the Celtics because what else is he going to say at the start of the season? You know, they kind of put him on a spot in a public environment, asked him whether or not he was going to sign with a team, and he said yes, he'd consider it, or, or asked me back about it, you know, later on this summer. But it, it was it was kind of a soft commitment, if anything. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure that they've done much to solidify them. I don't know that they can do much. And I'm not sure what he's looking for. He might just be happier elsewhere. He might want a different stage than the one provided to him in Boston. I would absolutely be frightened if I was a Celtics because I don't think he's going to resign there, to be quite honest with you. Can I go on a rant here? I saw these Boston media members trying to say, hey, we need to you know, keep in mind the context of what Kyrie Irving said and you know, don't just take a quote and run with it from his rant. Look, the only context you need about Kyrie Irving is him saying that he doesn't owe anybody anything. That's as much context as anybody has to provide him because that is such a different tone and message than he gave people at the start of the season. And it's a completely different tone and message that he was putting out there even just two or three weeks ago when he was trying to tell us what a great leader he was and how he was going to inspire these young guys and learn from LeBron and apologize to LeBron. I think we saw the real Kyrie Irving this week. You know, he doesn't know exactly what he's going to do this summer. Uh, the option of going to New York with Kevin Durant is going to be very tantalizing, and it's absolutely going to be on the table. If Boston goes to the finals, I'm sure that's going to tug on him to to want to stay there and to keep a good thing going. Uh, but that he doesn't feel like some major long-standing obligation to a, the fan base or the franchise or to Danny Ainge or Brad Stevens or whoever else. To me, it's an absolutely huge distraction for a team that's playing great basketball. I have no idea why he would do this. If he was the leader he was trying to convince us that he is, he would never just kind of like throw this kind of uh, you know fireworks into the middle of the season when they're playing so well. I thought it was an unfortunate move from him. And uh, I think you guys hit the nail on the head. Their fans and Danny Ainge should be very, very nervous because this is not how you behave if you're a happy camper. I would just, can I just add something to that rant really quick? Yeah. Just my little short rant in addition to your longer rant. Um, seeing a lot of people just saying, and reading a lot of reporters in the local market saying, Kyrie Irving could just put this all to bed if he were to just recommit to the Celtics. What if he doesn't want to recommit to the Celtics? Why does he have to do that? I kind of agree with Kyrie. He doesn't owe anything to anybody. Like, Would it be better for him to recommit to the Celtics now to become less of a distraction just to leave later and go back on his word? Like, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. We see this across the NBA and people, I think, are kind of taking their kind of 
ripping this out of the LeBron James playbook at, you know, saying, I'm my own person. I will make my own decision when it comes to be that time, but I'm not going to rule anything out right now. And LeBron has kind of done that for his entire career, taking the one-year deals, et cetera, et cetera. And everybody's sort of ripping that out of his playbook now. So I, I don't really have a problem with Kyrie Irving and what he's had to say. Yeah, is it a distraction a little bit? It's kind of like doublespeak when he goes, like you said, Ben, kind of apologizing and, rec- and, and recognizing he could do a better job um, as far as leadership goes. But, no, like, I, this is just kind of the NBA I, I don't now. blame him, but he's got to be ready to take the heat if he's going to, you know, project this kind of a, a public thing. And I think anyone who's trying to defend him, oh, he didn't really mean it. No, he meant it. He meant exactly what he and, said. And then lashing out at the reporters is not the way to go either. Correct. But can, could he really have, you know, kind of deflated the talk a little bit? Like, we, we're making it seem that, you know, he, he's kind of brought this attention to himself, but isn't he getting these questions asked ad nauseum? I mean, I was there in Orlando a few weeks ago when he questioned this team and their commitment and the young players and everything else, and that kind of was, I think, what really started this landslide, or most recent landslide. It went, you know, from there, it went to, they went to Brooklyn, obviously playing before his hometown, you know, team there, and, um, you know, I think it kind of started to build slowly, but and. Is he really lighting the fires? You, you guys are making it seem like he's kind of fanning these flames a little bit, but I, I feel like we're asking these questions, or reporters and media at large are asking these questions, and he's answering them somewhat truthfully, that he's changed his stance from where he was in September of this year. It shouldn't really matter so much because, I mean, people can change their minds, but I don't know that he's necessarily trying to conflagrate the situation any or providing poor leadership just he's asked questions could he realistically have said i don't really want to talk about free agency or or the future right now i'd rather just concentrate on the season if he's getting asked this at every stop i think there's a lot of different ways he could have played it and he chose one of the the more uh you know, confrontational ways to do it, especially with the language. I think he's been around the block long enough. He's dealt with this media cycle long enough. He's exploited the media cycle for his own benefit, whether it's the flatter stuff and all that for years. Uh, he is a veteran in the media game. And so I, I don't think he he was being taken out of context. I don't think his words were being extrapolated. I think his statement in terms of I don't owe anybody anything, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do this summer, is very, very newsworthy given that we just saw New York open wide up, given that Boston is now supposedly out of Anthony Davis's list of preferred teams, and that was a longstanding rumor in terms of Kyrie and, and Anthony Davis wanting to play together. And so I think there was major implications to what he was saying and how he's conducting himself uh, You know that will shape you know the future and the length of uh, Boston's, you know, uh, supposed, you know, dynasty or the, or their run here. I mean, remember, go back to the start of the season. We thought this was going to be a super team that could go on forever. And now we're looking at a situation where Kyrie might not be there. Anthony Davis might not be there. And their big three is going to be what? You know, Tatum, Gordon Hayward, and uh, Al Horford, you know, going into next season. If that's how it plays out, that is significant, significantly different than what we thought it would be. And it would be um, a reflection on Kyrie's, you know, personality that that's where sort of this organization that really, you know, proactively went out to get him, wanted to build this whole thing around him, was going to use him to lure other talents, and it wound up blowing up in their face. I I, I won't stand for that disrespect of Jalen Brown. 18 points per game in the playoffs, Ben. Um, the trade deadline will still involve some non-Anthony Davis players. That should be pretty interesting. We'll talk about that and some of our favorite trade targets after this break. I want to go around and just give me your most interesting trade target. Doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who's been mentioned in trade rumors everywhere, but just someone who makes sense to get traded. 
uh, by his current team. David, let's start with you. Well, I, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording, and I had mentioned uh, the East Coast version of uh, Rodney Hood as far as, uh, you know, Terrence Ross is concerned in Orlando. <laughs> but the reality is we might we might just kind of flip the page a little bit and uh, look to somebody else on Orlando's roster. I don't think Nikola Vucevic is getting moved. If anything, uh, it might be Aaron mm-hmm. Gordon. I know that the front office there has kind of soured him on, on him a little bit, even though they they did extend him uh, when he became a restricted free agency a free agent earlier this or last year. Um, but at the same time, they didn't draft him. They're kind of they're not quite sure what his fit is in Orlando long term. They've got Jonathan Isaac and Mobamba as well as Vucevic there, so. I think there are lots of options for them. And as far as Gordon's contract is concerned, it's scaled in such a way where it continues to decline in years. So it's a little bit more movable, even though it's quite substantial. Um, he's talented. He's young. Uh, maybe a team in L.A. might be willing to make a play for him, You know, bring him back to near his home state there. I, I, I'm not sure if that's a realistic trade. I, I mentioned to you, Wes, that I think it's probably something more likely to happen in the offseason than during the regular season. But I could see something happening. It might be an interesting one and, and probably a big name to boot. Yeah, he's a good kid and it's never been a good fit down there. Or exactly the right fit. And he's the type of guy where uh, I think if you're a front office executive, you could talk yourself into being the the organization that could kind of unlock him. I mean, the talent is evident. Um, you know, He's a straight shooter. Is it though? No, I, I think it? so. To me, it is. I mean, the athleticism, the defensive versatility that he could bring out. I think if it's so hard to judge these players because the point guard situation has been so poor down there, and we know what a difference Whoa, that can make. T.J. Augustine, really? I mean, that's that's slander right there. Well, yeah, I think it's deserved slander. No offense to him, but uh, you could do a lot better. And if, and if your whole offensive game is a complimentary guy, and that's sort of who he is, right? He's reliant upon others to kind of create scoring opportunities for him. Uh, there's not too many other places outside of Phoenix that I think he would have looked worse over these last couple of years. Uh, but, you know, I feel free. I mean, if you disagree, let me know why. Well, I mean, I'm just not sure about the overall talent level. I, I understand, like, he's he's been misplayed as far as his position fit is concerned. Frank Vogel, you know, wanted to put him at the three. He's probably better suited at the four. Um, but his ball handling is a little suspect. He doesn't create off the bounce. I mean, there's limitations in his game there. The athleticism is great, and he's still young where you kind of hope that he'll take that leap. I'm just not sure what his what his ceiling is, and I'm not sure if you want to make him a foundational piece that you can build around. If you're going to make him a complementary player, then I'm, just, I'm not sure what team has the right players to fit around Aaron where they can make him the best player he can be. I mean, can you imagine him in like the dunker role for Houston, where he's just you know all day long, he's just setting screens and and you know flying down the paint, catching alley oops, and doing that, and then playing you know versatile defense, you know as a four or a five on on that end, and you know I think ultimately his ceiling is what like a team's fourth best player, and, and there may be situations where really good teams would view him more as a role player rather than a top three guy, um, yeah. but I think that if I was a you know a quality team uh, with expiring contracts and picks. You could do a lot worse than taking a shot on, uh, you know, injecting Aaron Gordon's athleticism and talent level into your rotation. In terms of my guy to watch, though, it's Mike Conley. And, you know, some of it is just extending an olive branch to him because he's been stuck down there. And, you know, they're clearly going nowhere in Memphis. Um, I think there's a couple of teams that have been linked to him over the last week. My favorite that I've mentioned previously is Utah. I think the the defense first fit, the the ball handling uh, balance that you could strike between Conley and Mitchell, the pick and roll game with Gobert, um, and then just you know his mentality in terms of you know having uh, you know this the longtime professional uh, approach to the game, I think would be a, a very very clean fit in Utah. 
the idea of trying to get him to Detroit is is also interesting. I've seen people say, okay, well, would anybody really want to take back Reggie Jackson? How many draft picks or in sweeteners would they have to throw in on top of Reggie to kind of get that deal done? But I could see him having a really nice and much cleaner fit with Blake Griffin um, in Detroit than he than uh, Reggie Jackson has right now with the Pistons. And I also think. Like you've already invested all this money in Blake. You kind of owe it to him to refashion the pieces around him to get them to fit better and and to make a little run at things in the Eastern Conference playoffs. So uh, to me, I think Detroit should be aggressive in trying to uh, you know bring on a player, even though his contract is pretty large, uh, to try to get yourself into more of a winning mentality than they're at right now. Yeah, I don't I don't love the Pistons fit. Um, I like the Jazz fit, but I don't like the Pistons fit only because. You don't like the Pistons. If you get if if you put the if you put Mike Conley next to Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, now you got like this poor man's big three from the Clippers days, and I just don't know what that does for you. Like I know that the the Pistons don't have a ton of options, but I would rather them take those assets and try to find somebody with a little bit more upside than Mike Conley because now if you put again you put Conley and Blake Griffin together as your two best players, your window isn't. Like your window of maybe getting home court in the East, I guess that's like the ceiling there, and that's only really the window for maybe two years, and then what? And then like, and then you've got no assets. I love the fit with Utah though, for the exact opposite reason. With Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, those guys are only going to get better, and so Mike Conley could be really good for them now, but doesn't necessarily have to be as good as he is right now. In you know the the last couple of years of that of his contract. So I actually think the fit's really good there. I think he can play off the ball, even though his bread and butter is sort of playing pick and roll and pick and pop with a guy like Marcus Saul. But just having that second ball handler next to Donovan Mitchell, I think that would help Mitchell bring his usage rating a little bit down, up that efficiency, theoretically. And uh, and so I think that, it, and also if you're the Jazz, you're probably not a big player in free agency. And getting a guy of Mike Conley's stature right now is probably the best you can do. So I'd say go for it, especially while Donovan Mitchell is on that rookie scale contract. It kind of offsets the the bigger contract that Conley is is signed for in that backcourt. So I think it works. Um, so I'm with you, Ben. I think Utah should go all the way in for that. Um, yeah, and just to defend the Detroit fit for a second, I mean, they're already stuck to Blake Griffin's contract as their timeline, right? Like it's going to be fairly difficult to move him. You, you've invested so much kind of organizational capital and in, in him being your star that you have to kind of look at things like you're going to be screwed in five years, no matter what. Right. So what can you do between now and then to sort of raise your ceiling? And I think given how little talent they have uh, on hand, whether it's the young players that they've missed in the draft, you know, Stanley Johnson and Luke Kennard and these guys who are, you know, just not that helpful, whether it's the awkward fit with Drummond, like they need to shake up that core and they're not going to be on anybody's list. Like if Anthony Davis is making a list, like Detroit's not even on like the ninth version of that list. Right. So (laughs) what can they do to, Try to help Blake get some, uh, you know, meaningful, you know, secondary type players in the short term, and I think you'd have to take a risk on, you know, potentially taking on a Conley contract and seeing what happens. I'm not predicting great things for this uh, plan, but I do think it would maybe be slightly less depressing when they've got going on right now. And if the goal is just getting to the playoffs, which is sort of the goal for Detroit, it makes sense, right? Like I, that's fine. And if that's that's a good goal to have, that's okay. Um, if you're Memphis, would you rather have Ricky Rubio or Reggie Jackson? Anybody but Reggie, man. <laughs> like, I don't know if you saw that highlight of him just in, uh, you know, entry pass like seven times in a row to Blake Griffin on that possession. It winds up being a turnover. 
that is a miserable experience. The post-game video clip uh, from a week or two ago where Blake Griffin's trying to keep a straight face as Reggie Jackson's goofing off. I mean, the, the nickname I gave him previously was Root Canal Reggie because, you know, watching him play, it's that's how much fun <laughs> it is. And he just continues to prove that accurate. I mean, he hasn't been the same guy post-injury. I'm not sure what he does even adequately at this point in terms of being a starting level point guard. Um, I, I don't think that my interest would be in either one of those guys, though, coming back. It, it would be in the draft picks. Uh, it would be in the supporting, you know, younger type prospects that I could get uh, in a Connolly deal, because I don't think either Rubio or Reggie Jackson would be a long term solution uh, for the Grizzlies at point guard. Yeah, the guy that I'm looking at is Danilo Gallinari from the Clippers. I With the Knicks making their move, kind of pushing all their chips into the middle of the table for Kevin Durant plus Kyrie Irving, basically trying to get those two max slots. I think the Clippers should be and maybe are a little on edge. We've already heard some rumblings that they're really active at the trade deadline. They've got a bunch of expiring contracts, but they also have some useful players. Again, one of them being Gallinari, and that's why I'm looking at him because he's under contract for $22 million next season. And they could still have Gallinari and make enough room for two max guys. But if their target is Kawhi Leonard, right? And we've heard a lot that Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers is a very possible marriage that can happen down the line. They don't only want Kawhi Leonard. We know that Steve Ballmer, Jerry West, and that that crew down there is looking to make a huge splash. And they're looking to contend. And they're not going to just do that with only Kawhi Leonard. They want to make two, they want to get two legitimate stars. I wonder if they go into this tread deadline saying maybe we should do a little bit of a salary dump too and make enough room, not for three stars, not for three max level guys, but for two max level contracts, which they already have. And then if you're able to move Danilo Gallinari, now all of a sudden you have the, the room for two max guys and then one not quite max guy, but you could still afford to pay, you know, 18, 20 million dollars a year, maybe even a little bit more. That third, like almost all star. And now you're now you're pitching that to say Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Butler, like whoever it is, Kawhi plus other max player plus like other third kind of tertiary role player. You could kind of just create this big three out of thin air. So I'm watching the Clippers here because Gallinari could also really help a team this season and, and even next season. He's a good player when he's out there when he's healthy, which is not always the case, obviously. But I think he does have trade value, and even at 22 million dollars next season, could still be moved. I'm just curious of where he would fit best. I'm not quite sure if there are potential suitors that have been linked to his name or not. I haven't heard anything specifically, but I mean, I'm just wondering at 22 and obviously with his history of injury, is he a player that teams would rather take a chance on? I mean, obviously it's more about moving salary at this point from the Clippers perspective, but from another team trying to accept, you know, accept Gallinari's salary, I mean, is he the kind of player that you can just fit in there? Is there a teams that capable of paying that much money, not just this season and the next, but, I mean, for his talent level and what he can bring to the table, are there suitors already linked to Gallinari as far as you know? I mean, I haven't heard any names. I don't know about you, Ben, but if Utah strikes out on Mike Conley, Gallinari makes a sense there as an upgrade at power forward, add some shooting over favors. Uh, to that stretch four position. Over favors, over Jay Crowder. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Utah, their whole click there, you know, that entire state is trying to steal Tobias Harris, Gallinari's teammate. I do like this idea, though, of, you know, Gallinari maybe being a part of the rental package for Anthony Davis. It would almost be like DeMar DeRozan getting included in the Kawhi Leonard return package, where it's like you're mm. getting this capable, you know, stand-in option starter, not a, not really a star, but 
a guy who can help bridge to whatever that next generation would be so you don't have to completely fall to pieces uh, and, and maybe he's you know just kind of a stabilizing piece there uh, as part of that package but otherwise I do kind of see what David's saying in terms of does that contract scare off the teams who are looking to make marginal upgrades in terms of playoff positioning. So for example, you know the Torontos and the Bostons and the Phillies and the Milwaukee's of the world, if you're trying to jockey for a, you know, a roster upgrade uh, and, and really trying to like give yourself a boost here at the deadline, you know, heading into the playoffs, it, that contract's probably too big for you. Yeah. Maybe they throw in a future pick or even like a Jerome Robinson or something like that as sweetener if they really want to get aggressive. All I've heard is that they're they've been engaged in trade talks and I just kind of wonder what that looks like because I don't really see the point of them trading a Tobias Harris unless they really don't think that they want to re-sign him right um so I'm trying to see like other guys that that, that they might be doing one other name that I want to throw out there just for the sake of conversation is Drew Holiday we've heard a couple of conflicting reports that maybe the Pelicans want to trade him maybe they don't they either want to you know go full rebuild or they want to hold on to him into whatever this post Anthony Davis era looks like for them but he's definitely a guy that teams should be tri- uh, uh, calling the Pelicans about because he's a really good player, and it just sort of seems like he's, if Anthony Davis is gone, he's just kind of sort of waste away in New Orleans, not to be cruel, but like it would be, I, if I'm another team and I'm looking for an upgrade there, he could play the one, he could play the two, more favorably he could play the two. Any teams out there that should be calling about uh, Drew Holiday? Uh, I mean, he's a great player. I'm just wondering from New Orleans' perspective why they bother trying to move him other than to create a sense of goodwill that they don't, really, they don't currently have, right? I mean, with everything that's gone on with I mean, Anthony Davis, I'm just not sure why they would bother trying to include Drew Holiday in trade talks. I think we've heard that he's off the table. I mean, it makes sense to try and move him in order to, again, create goodwill and, and you know help Drew find a, a good fit somewhere for his, the rest of his career. But at the same time, I'm just not sure what you're getting back. I mean, reset reset your window. Just load up on young players and or assets. Just maybe that's the reason. Yeah. I mean, it's, of the of the teams who I want to see get a point guard, Utah, as we mentioned earlier with Conley, again, I think Holiday would kind of be a fit there. You could play him on or off the ball uh, with Mitchell, and he would fit into you know defensively what they're trying to do. Uh, it, the salary is pretty similar in terms of you know trying to make the salaries match between what we were describing earlier with Conley. So. Um, you know, if I was Utah, I'd be looking at that for sure. But I think if I'm New Orleans, I would try to gut everything besides Holiday because you do actually have to give reasons for your fans to still be invested. And that's going to be a huge challenge for them as an organization after they do rip off this Anthony Davis Band-Aid and, and kind of go forward. And having a solid guy in the community, a you know well-known face, a guy who's been there for a while, somebody who you can pitch as a star, that could be really helpful going into next season, especially if you've got a bunch of young players who are trying to you know, fit into new roles and, and rebuild things uh, going forward. So I think there's pretty significant uh, you know, quality reasons for the Pelicans to sort of keep uh, Holiday around, at least for the time being. That's all we have for today. Make sure to subscribe to Locked On NBA on iTunes and leave us a rating and review. And remember, when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On NBA. We'll be back here next Tuesday, and you can catch us over at Locked On Heat for the rest of the week. Thanks to Ben Golliver for jumping on. Make sure to check out his work over at the Washington Post, where I'm sure he'll be busy for the next few days. Thanks for listening.